Hello and welcome back into yet another episode of Line em Up, the sports podcast where we are all about lineups, uh, betting lines, and anything else that comes in line shape or maybe not in sports. Uh, as always, I am John, joined once again by my lovely co-hosts, Brendan. Always a pleasure, John. Good to see you. Good to be here with you boys. Ready to talk some baseball. And Eric. Hey, welcome back everyone. Thanks for tuning in. So... Leading off our conversation about baseball, as we always like to do here at Line Em Up, is taking a little bit of a tour around the news and happenings of Major League Baseball since we last sat down and talked with all you fine listeners out there. And I feel like a lot of what we've talked about so far this season has centered around divisions like the AL East, the NL West, and we've neglected some of our other divisions. And so today we are focusing on a division near and dear to Brendan's heart, as always, the NL Central. But things in the NL Central have not exactly gone to plan as of late. So if you go back and you listen to our NL preview episode, or if you remember our NL preview episode from when you've already listened to it, you'll remember that all of us were quite confident that come the end of the season, the St. Louis Cardinals would be sitting on top of the NL Central. Are the St. Louis Cardinals sitting on top of the NL Central right now? No. And so I think that's where I want to get started today, boys, is we've seen of late a huge resurgence from the Brewers and the Cubs such that the early season favorite Cardinals are now sitting in third And that has also coincided with a, you could call it a slump, you could call it a falling off of form from the boys in St. Louis. Brendan, I know you're jumping at the bit to to defend your boys, but tell me, what has happened in St. Louis that they've fallen so far? Oh, man. Well, you know, this is one of the beauty, uh, the beautiful little aspects of the length of the game of baseball season um, that is unique to the game of baseball as compared to other um, big sports right now. I mean, to be fair, um, the alarm bells are certainly going off in St. Louis right now, and they're hurting in a lot of ways. Uh, I would argue first and foremost in the injury department, but that's not unique to just St. Louis. Um, They also have uh, a myriad of other issues that have arose in the last few weeks as well that, um, certainly need to be addressed. I, I, I'm a little, for the first time this season, I can say I'm a little worried that this might be more indicative of the long term than I at first anticipated. Um, I will also note that I am starting to come a little bit around on the Cubs. I think I may have underestimated them a little bit. I think that their bullpen has far out played uh, expectation thus far in the season. And that's been a huge part of their uh, winning ways in the last month or so. I don't think that their hitting keeps it up. Um, I, I, I don't, I just don't see it. I mean, Chris Bryant's had a phenomenal season, much to my chagrin and my surprise, I would say, but um, the rest of them aren't doing a whole lot still. Javi Baez, he's hit some home runs, which is impressive, but uh, you know, I'm still not blown off the map by the Chicago Cubs team, but I will say with all the injuries and uh, these severe struggles uh, that the pitchers on the Cardinals have had with walks, 
and hit by pitches and lots and lots of free, easy runs and big innings for opposing teams. You can tell over the last month that as, unfortunately, my co-host Eric predicted, the Cardinals have struggled against these better teams that they've faced over the last you know, few weeks. So I do think that this division will be close as we predicted. Um, I do still have the Cardinals coming out of top, but they are running out of time to address some of these issues that they're having with the starting pitching staff in particular. Eric, I know uh, you certainly would like to gloat a little bit and take some shots while while you have the opportunity here, so I'll pass it along to you. What do you what do you think about the top of the division right now in the NL Central? I think overall for the Central Division, it's basically they are who we thought they were, right? They This is a division that will be close, and I think that's where I predicted uh, this, this division will be when we started this podcast. And the Cubs and the Brewers will stick around and push the Cardinals and uh, push the second wildcard spot in particular. And I think for the Cubs in particular, and I've been saying it, that they have been underrated by particularly you, Brendan, uh, as, our, as our co-host. And they're the only team in the division right now with a positive run differential. Uh, they're pitching well enough and they're hitting well enough to stay in a lot of games. Um, and, I mean, they play particularly well against the Padres series that they've had. And Chris Bryant, in particular, is hitting himself into the MVP conversation, right? Um, obviously, there are other more favorable uh, players that will, will get votes, but Chris Bryant, I think, is sitting around like possibly the fourth or the fifth uh, best option for NL MVP at the moment. He is batting at the moment. Let me see. So 307 overall, 383 on-base percentage, uh, 575 slugging percentage. Uh, 13 home runs, and I mean the best hitter on the team right now. So I will believe that the Cubs will continue to push the Cardinals throughout the year. But let me shift to the Brewers real quick. I, in particular, am surprised that the Brewers are leading the division right now, particularly because the Brewers are still collectively batting 211, which is second worst in the league. So, I mean, there might be people out there that will say that they'll heat up and they'll continue to stay on top, but I still don't believe that they'll be able to carry this uh, throughout the season with how poorly they've been batting. So I I still think, and I'm going to hold firm to the end of the season, it will still round out to the Cardinals and the Cubs pushing for the top of the division and Brewers landing third. I still also think that the Cardinals will... Uh, win the division still. I think they're good enough. I think it's unfortunate that Flaherty is injured at, uh, right now, I believe, at least through the All-Star break, right? So we'll have to see if the Cardinals will get their pitching back on track. But they still have the lineup, I think, to out-hit a couple teams as long as they um, start addressing those in, those in these upcoming series. And see, I, I want to just step in real quick and and maybe give a little bit more credit to the Brewers than what Eric's doing right there because the Brewers have gone from a team that we thought had two dominant starters to at least over the last couple of weeks, a team with three dominant starters. And 
I agree that hitting poorly when you only have two good pitchers is not going to ultimately win you enough games to put you in a position that you're happy with at the end of the season. But I think that conversation becomes a lot different if you get a third consistent pitcher in the mix. So to give you sort of a, you listeners at home sort of a sense of where the Brewers have been over the past 17 games for them, Brandon Woodruff has been his normal nasty self, 19 innings pitched, an ERA under one, 27 strikeouts, opponents batting 164 against him. Corbin Burns, similarly disgusting in terms of the numbers he is putting up. Also 19 innings pitched, 237 ERA, 27 strikeouts, opponents also batting below 200 against him. But out of nowhere, seemingly, comes Freddy Peralta, also 19 innings pitched. So you're getting decent length out of all of these guys in their last three starts. An ERA under two at 189, 23 strikeouts, and a minuscule 125 against batting average. And you're right, Eric. They do need more hitting in general. When your best player over this week, this recent uh, period of success is a Vicio Garcia who is hitting 240. Granted, he does have six home runs and 12 RBIs and an OPS over 900, but that's still, you need more from the rest of your lineup. But to me, if they can just continually get this great stuff out of Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, and you can continue to see Carlos Martinez struggle for to the for the Cardinals to a point where he has a t- over a 10 ERA in his last four starts. When you continue to see the Cardinals struggle with health in their rotation as well as their bullpen and continue to see their bullpen be consistently overtaxed. And when I think the Cubs have similar questions as to whether or not they can maintain this offensive potency, to me right now the biggest strength of any team in the central division are those three pitchers for the Brewers. And so when you have the a one biggest strength of any team in the division, that is always going to give you a puncher's chance to end up with, you know, finish that season on top. Yeah. I think just briefly, I want to address that. I think the beauty of this game uh, that I kind of alluded to at the beginning of my little monologue there was that it's very cyclical and you're going to have teams that go on good runs and good form. And you're going to have teams that go on bad runs and bad form. Um, the name of the game on in a long season here is to keep games close and steal some games that you might not necessarily are that you're not necessarily supposed to win, I should say. And so I think that's a big strength that the Brewers have, although they don't hit the ball very well. And I think it's fair to say that we can't expect them to hit the ball very well for the rest of the season. They're basically relying on Christian Yelich as a, as a whole to carry them to some wins and potentially Lorenzo Cain to, to heat up and, and stay healthy um, to be their main offensive power. I, I think they, there's still value in the Brewers based on the fact that the, you know that their pitchers are going to throw the ball well and – you know they're gonna they're gonna steal some games two to one one to nothing that other teams would lose because they're giving up three four runs on the first few innings. And and here's the last thing I want to point out before we close out this discussion on the on the central. Not only do I think the Cubs and the Brewers have edges 
in the starting rotation right now over the Cardinals. But the bullpens are vastly different. Now, granted, Alex Reyes has put up good numbers, but we were talking about this off outside of recording, Brendan. He's someone who flirts with danger basically every time he gets put in the game. And then you look across the way and you see the Cubs where Craig Kimbrell is having an absolute resurgence this year with an ERA uh, over, or, or excuse me, under one and 40 plus strikeouts in 24 innings. And then you also know that in Milwaukee, you have these two studs in Josh Hader and Devin Williams at the back of the bullpen. Uh, you know, it becomes really easy to imagine that these two teams in Milwaukee and Chicago can just shorten the games in a way that the Cardinals can't right now. And you start to wonder if that advantage just starts to compound and compound and compound to the point where come the all-star break, come, you know, a little after the all-star break, the Cardinals are facing an uphill battle that, may just be too big for them to surmount. I'm not saying they can't win the division, and if you had to press me right now, I'd still stand by the preseason selection of the Cardinals as your division winner. But like Brendan sort of said at the beginning of this segment, there is so many reasons to be concerned about the Cardinals' ability to turn this around. Yeah, I think I'll the make... main... Sorry, Eric, go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. If you respond to his point, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think the main issue that the Cardinals are facing right now, on top of the fact that they played 17 games in 17 days, um, with all the injuries they had to their starting staff, you know, Kwon Young Kim has been out. Uh, you know, he, he retweaked his back. I think he's going to be out for at least a few weeks. Obviously, Flaherty's out until post-All-Star break, most likely. Carlos Martinez is healthy, but that's more of an unfortunate thing right now, since, as John mentioned, his IRA is over 10 the last few games. I, I don't think he belongs in the starting rotation, but unfortunately, the position that they're in right now, they don't have the, the luxury of pulling him out of that rotation because the bullpen is so taxed from all the innings that they've had to eat up in these short outings and injuries that the starting rotation has put up in recent games. I think the Cardinals' bullpen ultimately is going to show that they are one of the best bullpens in the MLB by the end of the season, but it's unfortunate right now that their lack of um, shutting down opposing lineups has coincided with this run of just abysmal starting pitching that they've gotten out of the rotation recently and the injuries. So I think when I say the Cardinals are running out of time, they're going to need either internal help, potentially Matthew Liberatore coming up to, to make a few starts. Johan Oviedo's already up making starts. He's part of the rotation now. That could be Daniel Ponce de Leon coming back out of the bullpen to make some starts, and hopefully he finds some some more consistency than he had at the beginning of the season, or it's going to be, it's going to have to be external where they go out and make a move way before the deadline for a starting pitcher and really show that they're going to make a run at this thing and, and pick up somebody that could eat some innings up because their bullpen's not going to survive throwing this many innings and they're going to be burnt out. I do want to lastly mention before I pass this along to Eric, Craig Kimbrell, I have no fear about him. Chicago fans, you guys know what I'm talking about. This is Craig Kimbrell and Wrigley Field. When the heat comes on and when it's time for him to pitch in big games, everybody knows what's going to happen. We know that he's going to blow it, and he, they're not going to have a closer come September, and they're going to be scrambling to find who can, who can take that ninth inning role. I, I don't think the Cubs' bullpen lasts like the Cardinals' bullpen can last or like Milwaukee's bullpen can last, 
but it absolutely has been one of the biggest surprises of the MLB so far, I would say, to see how well the Cubs bullpen has come together and really solidified each other in their own roles, and they, they know who they can rely on for what innings and who's going to get those big outs. Yeah, I think, I think that was a great point, uh, and, and particularly in defense of the Cardinals uh, from Brendan. I, I wanted to round back on the Brewers real quick. I, I think I, I'll say my opinions on their, uh, their lineup and their, their batting average and how well they're hitting uh, will either stay the same or change based on their upcoming schedule. Their upcoming schedule is against the Pirates, the Reds, the Rockies, and the Cardinals, all in the bottom 10 in uh, Team ERA. So if they continue to bat poorly, then I still think the Brewers will land nowhere near the top of the division uh, come the end of the season. I guess I just wanted to close with, based on these upcoming schedules, I think the next time we record, the standings will still be Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals in that order. Do you guys agree wow. with that statement? Wow. You know what, Eric, let's do something interesting here. So a few weeks ago, and we'll, we'll get to this later on in the show as well as we review some of our, our past predictions, but a few weeks ago, you really hurt my heart by uh, calling out the Cardinals and saying that they were going to lose some big series coming up over the month of May, and it pains me to say that you were very, very right. So uh, we actually have the schedules for the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Brewers uh, in front of us right now. Eric, I, I want to get really quickly – Let's hear uh, what your best guess off the top of your head right now for how all these series play out. Just just run through them. So for the Cardinals in particular, or all three teams here? Well, start with the Cardinals, but you can do all three. I mean, we, we just need to know who wins the series. All right. Well, I'll save the Cubs-Cardinals for a surprise later, to, later on this recording. But enough, I think they'll uh, win the series against the – Marlins, though they will split the series against the Braves. They'll win this series easily against the Tigers, and they'll win the series against the Pirates. And I think they're three and a half games back, just so everyone realizes the standings uh, with respect to the Cubs here. So even if they pick up a series here, they it'll still be pretty close between the Cubs and Cardinals. So we move on to the Cubs. Uh, again, they're playing the, the Cardinals, which we'll talk about later. I think they'll lose a game against the Mets. They will probably sneak out a game or a series against the Marlins. Um, they'll lose a game. They'll lose a series against the Indians, and they'll lose the series against the Dodgers. So that's why I'm also predicting that they'll have a tougher schedule against Cardinals, but also they're three games up on the Cardinals at the moment. And then the Brewers already went through. They have a cakewalk of a schedule in terms of their pitching staff and where they are currently in the standings. So I think the Brewers easily being up at the top of the standings now will stay at the top of the standings by the next time we record. So what I'm hearing from you, Eric, is that while you expect the standings to stay the same, you would not be surprised if the Cardinals had greatly closed the gap on the Cubs by the time we next sit down to record. I think that's fair. I mean, I don't think the Cardinals are a bad team. They're just struggling in particular right now, and their schedule is a little lighter than the Cubs although nowhere near as light as the Brewers. So I think overall that's why I'm saying that it'll end up being Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals by the next time we record. So that was my main point. Yeah, that was my main interest when, when asking that question is that I, I do like the Cardinals' schedule over the next few weeks much more than the Cubs. So, yeah, I think that's a good way to round out the conversation, John. I'll, I'll pass it along to you, but Transitioning from something that is very uncertain, and right now that's the top of the NL Central, to something that is about as certain as death and taxes, 
And that is Jacob DeGrom going out there and dominating on the pitching mound. But, oh, wait, he has stepped it up another level this season. And the stat that really caught my eye and made this something that I wanted to talk about with you gentlemen was DeGrom's ERA right now is 0.62 through nine starts. That is the best ERA in MLB history through a pitcher's first nine starts. And to put it in even greater context, I think the gold standard for pitchers in terms of, you know, eye-popping statistics, and especially when it comes to ERA, is Bob Gibson's legendary 1968 season. Bob Gibson, through 19 starts in 1968, had an ERA of 1.34. So Jacob deGrom is less than half of Bob Gibson's ERA that season. And so the question I pose to you gentlemen is, we had a pretty interesting conversation last time about what it might take for Garrett Cole to win the MVP in the American League. Right now, DeGrom is sitting at the third favorite in terms of betting odds for MVP in the National League. Do you think that should be higher? And is Jacob DeGrom going to potentially be the next pitcher that takes home the MVP award? I mean, from my standpoint, if you're giving me DeGrom versus the field, I will very clearly take the field here. I am rooting for DeGrom to win MVP, don't get me wrong, but for a pitcher to win the MVP, and I think we've talked about, talked about this before, they need to be absolutely amazing, which I'm not saying that he's not, but his margin for error throughout the entire season is much smaller, both from a statistical and a physical standpoint, compared to any batter that they're going up against, right? They... Like, any bad day can mess up your ERA and change up your entire standings in this MVP race. And for a batter, that's, that's just not as likely because you're, you're going more against counting stats, right? Um, and if you just look at DeGrom himself, uh, he doesn't even lead the league in pitching war at the moment, right? I think it goes to Woodruff uh, or Burns, I forget, um, that we've talked about earlier. Um, so it, it's much more difficult for a pitcher to win the MVP. So I think if to ask if you were to be the favorite, I definitely would say it's very difficult for that. And I would defer to like Tatis or Acuna at the moment, who's obviously leading the, the MVP race or even Chris Bryant, which I mentioned earlier to be more likely at the moment than DeGrom. But that's where I, th- that's where I think you're, you're over compli- you're, you're, you're hedging too much on this. Because you're right, to be a pitcher who wins the MVP, we've only seen it a couple of times this century. But to be a pitcher that wins MVP, you need to be dominant. DeGrom's above dominant. He Dominant is in his rearview mirror right now. He is having the best start to a season that we have ever seen. And so for me... I don't have a problem with you saying, yeah, he is in the mix, but I wouldn't call him the favorite. Where I have a problem is these odds makers going out here and saying he is a considerable ways away or, or, or you know, at least a significant ways away from the top two in Tatis and Acuna because I feel pretty confident that if you were to go 
to the Braves and say, Braves, we will give you for the rest of the season, you can have Jacob deGrom and the Mets are going to take Ronald Acuna. Or Padres, for the rest of the season, you can have Jacob deGrom and the Mets are going to take Fernando Tatis Jr. I feel pretty freaking confident that the that both of those teams would take that deal in a heartbeat. Well, I, I that's a separate conversation that we could have, and I firmly disagree with you, but I, that's not the question. So I'll be the tiebreaker here. Uh, unfortunately, John, I am firmly in Eric's camp here. It's not at all that I don't think DeGrom hasn't been dominant enough to win the MVP thus far into the season. And I do think plus 700 is probably a pretty fair position for him to be in as opposed to where Garrett Cole was in our last conversation that we talked about with the American League MVP. I think with Tatis Jr. and Acuna around plus 300, plus 375, DeGrom being next in line at plus 700 is a huge compliment to him and is absolutely fair. I don't think it's outlandish for him to win the MVP. I think he's certainly closer than anybody else in the league by a large margin uh, in the starting pitcher department. However, as Eric mentioned, and this is something that DeGrom has struggled with in his career, the, probably the only thing he struggled with in his career, is he has to be healthy for basically the rest of the season and make his starts every five days. If he does that, and if he manages to keep on this insane run that he's been on, he's absolutely deserving of the MVP. But I think his biggest enemy right now is the same biggest enemy. that could. It's the only thing that could stop him from winning the NLSI Young, and it's his health. So if he stays healthy and puts up the abysmal or egregious numbers that he's had throughout the beginning of the season, then he absolutely is deserving of the MVP, especially if he carries the Mets into the postseason on his back. However, I don't think it's likely that he makes it through the rest of the season with these dominant numbers. As Eric said, it only takes one start to make his .62 ERA turn into a 1.6, which is still insane, but it's no longer – earth-shattering at that point. So I, I want to just debunk that a little bit because you're saying that you're worried about his health. The last time Jacob deGrom failed to start 30 games in a in a full season, and I think 30 games is, is sort of that benchmark for what you see, you see as a complete pitcher, a complete season for a pitcher, the last time he failed to start 30 games in a season was 2016. 2017 is at 31, 2018, 32, 2019, 32. So I don't know, like, yeah, you're right. In, in, in sports in general, players get hurt, and that's always a concern. But I don't think there's anything special or, or particular that we should be worried about when it comes to the Grom from an injury standpoint. And so, and to me, what the numbers that we're likely to see from Tatis Jr. and Acuna at the end of the season, they're going to be great, but they're not going to be historical. I would be surprised at least if they were historical. Right now, DeGrom is fully on track to be historical. And I'm not saying he's going to go the whole season with a ERA you know, hovering around 0.6 or 0.5 or anything ridiculous like that. Yeah, he'll probably have a subpar outing by his standards at some point along the way but when you look at the last couple of pitchers that won MVP Clayton Kershaw jumps out because you know National League to National League his ERA in his MVP winning season was 1.77 I fully believe that Jacob deGrom is going to have an ERA lower than that this year while also you know just continuing to be 
absurdly dominant. And so to me, and maybe you guys end up being right just because the voters have this, this locked in mindset that no, we can't give the MVP to pitcher. No, we can't do it. But to me, you ought to reward historical seasons over simply great seasons. Sure. I'll make three points and then I'll, I'll be done on this topic and I'll let Eric round us out here. But first point, when we talk about injuries, I am not concerned whatsoever about DeGrom making 30 starts this season. I think he will do that. I'm more concerned about underlying injuries that he goes out and starts the game and is not his dominant self and his, his ERA suffers a little bit. I think he still can pitch through injury, obviously. He's one of the toughest pitchers in the league. And even if he doesn't have his absolute best stuff on any given day, he still has stuff better that's that's better than the average pitcher by a long shot. So I think his ERA slowly creeps up a little bit based on those days where he doesn't have the best stuff or he's not feeling 100% because he has to go out and make those starts for the Mets. Otherwise, they're not going to make the playoffs. So when I'm talking about injury, that's basically what I'm talking about. I'm not worried that he's going to miss a whole month or whatever unless he has a freak injury. Secondly, I think when we talk about a pitcher winning the MVP, that is – inherently the issue with these conversations is that while Tatis Jr. and Acuna can win the MVP by putting up great numbers and playing every single day, a pitcher who only plays every fifth day has to put up historically great numbers in order to give the voting committee no other, no other chance to vote for anyone else. So for in order for DeGrom to win the MVP, he would have to have a historical season and he still has three plus months to do that. And until we get a little closer down the line, I don't think it's fair to say that he should be the favorite at all right now. I'm not saying he should be the favorite. I'm just saying he should be. I, I, I think it's fair to say that he should be considered on equal footing to Tatis and Acuna. And that's not how he's being presented. That's 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 my argument that I'm making. Fair. Okay. Uh, that's that's fine. I, I I could concede that he could be closer to Tatis Jr. and Acuna, but I still think the likelihood, from a betting standpoint, the likelihood of him just putting up a historical season for the next three months, is still much lower than Tatis Jr. and Acuna finishing with great seasons as they're on pace to do so. And lastly, you mentioned that you think Grom's ERA finishes below one seven seven. I think is what you said at the end of the season. Yeah. I'm willing to add our first wager of the week right now if you're willing to accept this impromptu bet. I'll buy you a beer or whatever you want to drink at the end of the season if DeGrom has an ERA lower than 177 because I don't think there's a way that he ends up with a lower ERA than that. There's no chance. Okay. I'll take that bet I'm right game. now. Yeah, absolutely. 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 I'm All game. All right, there you go, folks. Our first wager of the week, which will be a new segment that we're doing going forward uh, where we have a friendly bet between – at least two of the hosts uh, on the show here will be between me and Mr. John Beers, and it will be for uh, one one beer that we will, uh, <laughs> we will pay up on. And it's uh, whether or not Mr. DeGrom finishes with an ERA above or below 177. Eric, if you want to jump in on that, I'm happy to I'm happy to split it two ways if you want to go either way. No, but, no, I'll leave this between uh, you two. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Eric, oh wait, I, I need to throw in I need to throw in a constitu a, a, a a different mark that he has to hit. If Degrom doesn't make twenty five starts this season, I'm not taking the fact that he ended with an ERA at one point five. Oh well, we I mean we can adjudicate that when the time he's comes. Gotta, he's got to hit like the I mark. Said, like I said, I'm confident that he's going to make you know let alone 25, 30 plus starts. 
and I'm also confident that he is going to best what Kershaw did in, in 2014, at least from the RE Fair enough. I just want to avoid a, a, a situation where he goes out and tears his ACL on his next start and he finishes the his this season with an ERA of 0.6. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to yeah. hedge a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, all right, all right. So transitioning from uh, from sp- talking about one pitcher dominating to talking about maybe pitchers are dominating a little bit too much and a trend that Eric pointed out and that I had seen a little bit as well and that I think rightfully Eric wanted to bring up on this podcast is there's been a lot of talk recently about this epidemic of sorts of pitchers using foreign substances to affect the spin rate of their baseballs and improve the stuff that they're throwing. I think the sort of buzz word or buzz substance that has been floating around is, is this new substance called spider tack, which I believe was originally designed to help weightlifters get better grip on, on the, the bars of the weights that they are lifting. But now pitchers are using it in to help them get a better grip on the baseball and, and, and throw more nasty pitches. And so I want to hear what you guys, your guys' opinion on this and uh, what MLB, what you think the MLB should do to, to help with this, because I think it's pretty clear cut, but, but I'm interested to see what angles um, you both take regarding this problem. Yeah. Since I'm the one that brought it up, I guess I want to speak up first here. I am very excited to see how baseball is going to look over these coming months, particularly for these pitchers and how they're going to do and how, when, and maybe if the NFB uh, cracks down on the use of foreign substances, it affects how well they're pitching. Because we mentioned on previous uh, recordings, right, that pitching has been phenomenal this year. And I'm curious to know if this, it will be a only a minor or a major effect on the future pitching pitching prospects coming up um, for all of them will be uh, in these coming summer months the reason this came came up is we recently read a CBS article and I'm, I'm happy uh, to give them the credit here that um, Garrett Cole recently had a major decrease in the spin rate of his pitches in the in his game against the Rays where he gave up five earned runs and it was a pretty significant decrease in spin rate um, and I'm curious to know if that's going to affect some other pitching uh, as it comes down the line as um, possibly a predictor for when we talk about future games about uh, these these pitchers uh, likely have had a worse game because maybe they stopped using these foreign substances and maybe they're less likely to have a good game and maybe that'll change how we bet on that game, for example. Um, I do have some other metrics, but I'm, I'm happy to let Brendan talk first about what his, his thoughts are about this this topic. Yeah, I think this is an interesting one mostly because it seems to be positioned in a way that is almost directly in response to rising frustrations that have been voiced by hitters in the MLB. I know even today, as as we're recording just a few hours ago, I think Pete Alonso just made some comments about how 
they need to even the playing field. And if they're going to let one set of players cheat, essentially, uh, they need to either be consistent with that cheating and, and acknowledge that it's happening, or they need to address it and really crack down on it to make it an even playing field. I don't think it's any secret anymore that pitchers use these foreign substances to get a better spin rate. I mean, the prime example, if we're going to have a conversation about this, we have to talk about Trevor Bauer. I mean, he all but admitted in comments over the last week that upon getting to Cincinnati in 2020, or two years ago, I mean, he um, bumped up his spin rate uh, by seemingly magic by, I think, 400 spin or 400 rotations per second, which if, if you know anything about pitching and spin rates, it, it doesn't happen. You don't do that without some external help, especially not in such a short period of time. So I think it's not a secret anymore that these pitchers are using it. I do think that this is in response to the amount of no-hitters that we saw over the first couple months of the season. And I do just want to point out that in our conversation about no-hitters, I, I did mention that I didn't know if the MLB was going to do anything to address it. I didn't come to the conclusion that they would do anything about spin rates and about foreign substances that pitchers were using. Frankly, I didn't realize that it was such a widespread use uh, among the MLB. I thought it was mostly used by uh, specific teams or by specific players, but it appears to be more widespread than uh, even the public is aware. So I do think it's going to have a pretty substantial difference on the game. I think we're going to see more runs scored. And I think we're going to see more frustrations out of pitchers like Jacob deGrom, like uh, Garrett Cole, like Trevor Bauer. And I think we're going to see uh, a downtick in their statistics because of it. Yeah. And so when we had this conversation about no hitters and declining offense and things like that, I mentioned that some people were calling for the mound to be lowered or the mound to be moved back or sort of really drastic changes to be made to the game of baseball and so to me this this look into the foreign substance problem is really welcome because it seems to me that all that all of a sudden has a it has appeared a easy way to at least to start to address the dominance of pitchers in major league baseball and that's just cracking down on the use of these foreign substances when I when I'm reading about this and when I'm looking in this, it reminds me of way back in the day the problem the NFL had with Stickum, where if you watch highlights from I believe it was the 70s and 80s, there would be guys out there where you'd see these big orange smears on their legs or on their arms, and basically what that was is it was it was a super tacked adhesive product called Stickum that they would just rub on their hands. And balls would just stick to their hands like glue. Interception numbers went crazy. Um, receiver numbers went crazy. And to me, this seems like the same thing. And so it, it reached a point where it was just the cheating was too blatant and the NFL cracked down on it. And I'm hoping the MLB does the same thing. And not only so that we can get to a more even playing field, but that so we can sort of stop these conversations about making more drastic changes to baseball and uh, maybe overreacting a little bit to what's going on. 
Oh, oh, real quick, real quick, John. I, I do want to, I'm in the preliminary part of my research, but I did want to share uh, me looking into three other players and see uh, whether they'll be affected by this, I think. So I did want to look into Joe Musgrove, John Means, and Corey Kluber, because uh, I know Brendan mentioned the no-hitters earlier, but I instead decided to look at Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw, and Jacob deGrom, who we talked about earlier. Uh, over, I looked at their past five games and how their spin rates compare. And for Walker Buehler and Jacob deGrom, all of their spin rates are comparable with one another. So I guess this could mean that they're either not off the foreign substances, but I am more of the opinion that they uh, were never using it and they'll continue to stay consistent because I also kind of compared it with their spin rates from earlier seasons. Now at least Clay and Kershaw, whose spin rate has decreased over the past five games as and it was the lowest in its last in his last start against the Braves, where he gave up five earned runs. And I also took a look at his spin rates this year compared to last year, and they're also high or they're higher this year. So if it means anything, I think we need to keep an eye to see. Um, this is a predictor about Kershaw's future starts, which does not build well for for Dodgers fans. But um, I think it's absolutely fascinating. For me to see how this is, will shake out in the coming months. I just want to give one last disclaimer before we move on, John. I think it's important to note that single game spin rates, and I think the CBS article touches on this a little bit, um, it is important to just call out that single game spin rates are high variance because the technology that's used to measure these things uh, has a pretty high variance in itself while reading these things real time. And they do have to go back and massage these numbers a little bit to make them more accurate. So we do have to be a little bit cautious when looking at small sample sizes like that. I completely agree. However, I think five games, I think five games is, you know, relatively big enough to make a, a broad, uh, you know, you know, come to a broad conclusion, but I do think the interesting part will be seeing where some of these pitchers, where we basically know that they're using it, like Garrett Cole, like Trevor Bauer, who's basically admitted that he's done so, um, where they land after, you know, this week and all the changes that the, the owners have actually approved. Now. So, uh, and to be clear, I'm not looking at this to fault anyone because I think we've already said that the majority of the league is using this one way or another. Um, at least one pitcher on every team, right? I am just curious from the standpoint of a predicting standpoint or a betting standpoint to see how this will change uh, any any, um, any any tells, I guess, for how well a pitcher will do in a specific start upcoming. And we'll have to see. So moving on to our last part of our leadoff segment, talking about the power rankings. We do it. We do it every time we sit down and record. We're going to shorten it a little bit this time just in the because we have a lot of stuff that we want to get to in this episode. And we've already had uh, really deep conversations about some of the things in this in this leadoff segment. So I'm going to instead of asking you the three questions that I normally ask you guys, I'm going to ask you to just give me one team or, or, or maybe two teams. J- just what stood out to you about this week's power rankings uh, and just to give you the top five before you get into that. So a new number one ascends to the number one spot this week in the Rays. The White Sox are back up into number two. The Padres drop from one to three. 
The Dodgers rise up to number four, and the Giants hold Pat at number five. Brendan, what stands out to you about the power rankings one through 30? I'm going with the Blue Jays, boys. Uh, They're sitting at number 10 right now. They're actually ahead of the Yankees, although they're sitting in fourth place currently in the division, which I think is interesting. But to have a fourth place team in the division in the top 10 of the power rankings speaks volumes about the division. I mean, the Rays are playing out of their mind. They have a plus 77 run differential. Boston has hit the ball incredibly well. They scored a million runs a game, plus 48 run differential. They're sitting uh, just a game and a half behind the Rays. And then you've got the Yankees only half a game above the Blue Jays. However, the Blue Jays have a plus 31 run differential while the Yankees are dead even. Uh, I think that the Blue Jays have certainly proven that they are ready to make a push in this division and uh, look out below, but the Yankees might be in the bottom half of this division before you know it. Eric, anything that stands out to you? Yeah, if I, if I could quickly run through three teams. I, I mentioned in the last recording uh, where the Cubs will be at. will likely be in the top 10, top 12, and they're currently sitting at number 9. So I think that's no surprise right now based on how well they're doing. Uh, and then moving to the bottom, I mentioned both uh, of these teams to uh, Brendan and John is the Twins and the Nationals sitting at 23 and 24. I mentioned that I'm likely to be giving up on them uh, because I predicted both of these teams to do well in the postseason, but they're not even doing well in the, in the regular season at the moment. The Twins are fifth worst in the ERA with uh, 4.80, second worst uh, in the league uh, in home runs given up, which is not great given where they play. And they are, are hitting well, but Sano is hitting 163, Kepler's hitting 212. So they still have a chance if everyone heaps up, but I think they're very clearly been sitting at the bottom of the power rankings for a couple of weeks now. And then for the Nationals real quick, with Strasburg injured and no one particularly standing out on offense outside of Juan Soto and Trey Turner, and with Patrick Corbin having a 6.28 ERA and Joe Ross uh, with a 4.80 ERA, no one's really pitching well outside of Scherzer. So they will continue, from my perspective, to sit at the bottom of the power rankings. Yeah, and I know those. Though it hurts a little bit, probably Eric, to to see those teams that you had high hopes for sit down there at the bottom. For me, I'm gonna keep it simple, and I'm gonna focus on the number one, and that's the Rays. I was vocal in the past about the fact that. I feel like sometimes these power rankings uh, rely a little bit too much on, you know, what the what the ranker thinks will happen by the end of the season versus what is actually happening right now. And so I'm really happy to see them take what I guess some would consider a bold step, but what the numbers on the field would say is the right thing to do and put the Rays at number one. Again, the Rays are not a sexy team. They don't have a lot of household names. They win by throwing a million different relievers and playing really good defense and getting timely hitting. In a lot of ways, they resemble a National League team playing in the American League. But it has proven wildly successful. And so big props to the Rays and slightly smaller props to the rankers for finally giving them their due all right so moving out of our leadoff segment getting into the middle of the order 
the things that I feel like all of our listeners, that's what they really come here for, and that is the competitive segments. And before we get into making some new predictions, I wanted to go and give sort of a mid-season or, you know, we're a little bit over a third of the way through the season, a, a couple uh, rounds of applause and a couple of, oh, you didn't, you, didn't really hit the, you didn't really hit the mark with that one for some of the predictions that we've made in the past. Now, we've all given Eric plenty of credit for his prophetic uh, pick of John Means throwing a no-hitter. He has earned the nickname Eric the Prophet. And lo and behold, it's not just no-hitters he's good at predicting. He has a pretty good record overall. As Brendan mentioned a little bit earlier on, he correctly predicted four out of five of the Cardinals series to end the month of May. So that's almost as impressive as predicting the no hitter in itself. And so far this season, Eric is the only one to correctly guess a stop the streak. Now, granted two of our three stop the streak so far have suffered from the fact that they didn't they really stop before they even started because of rainouts in the Mets Brave series and then Corbin Burns got hurt in the Brewers uh versus Dodgers series that we highlighted a couple episodes ago. But Eric, for that Joe Musgrove versus the St. Louis Cardinals stop the streak a couple episodes ago, he got that one right. Brendan and I got it wrong. So big up for Eric there. However, we don't want to give all the credit in the world to Eric because he did pick Jack Flaherty to have a strong shot at the NL Cy Young in the episode where I asked them for predictions that were a little bit of dark horses. And that has seemingly, it's not all dead, but it's, it's, it's pretty close to being dead with Jack Flaherty picking up that injury. So before I review, uh, uh, Brendan and I's less impressive prediction record, Eric the Prophet, do you want to take a, another victory lap here? <laughs> no, I, I think I'll, I'll focus on my losses and figure out where I can improve. I think, I mean, for Jack Flaherty, it's unfortunate for all of us, I think, uh, given how well he's pitching. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks a lot, Eric. To, to put that L in. But um, I, I wish I had more opportunities to build up my resume because I think there are two other positions I, I mentioned on the uh, prior recordings that ended up being, I guess, pushes or just end up didn't have, uh, not happening. Uh, I, I I said that Julio uh, Urias would have more strikeouts than Corbin Burns, but Corbin Burns ended up, uh, and also I guess Corbin Burns will have more than 10Ks in that game. Um, but unfortunately, Burns got injured before we could even see that happen. Uh, Urias ended up getting 10Ks in that game against his Brewers, so it will probably have ended up being a push. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, or I guess we won't see. Um, and then I also said Austin Riley would have two home runs in the series against the Mets. And unfortunately, two of those games got postponed, so I guess we'll never know. We Look at this guy trying to take know. more credit for this. Are you serious we will never right now? Know. We he called him a hitter and predicted a whole month of baseball out of the Cardinals. And the only thing you've gotten wrong all year is that you broke Jack Flaherty after telling him that he could win the Cy Young. I'm telling you guys, my resume is much bigger than this. I think we all know it. Anyway, we can, we can move on. <laughs> so, Brendan, you haven't had a prediction come true necessarily but thank you for that yeah but when we when we talked about sort of our dark horse uh 
bets that we would maybe make. You pointed out that you thought Tommy Edmond had a great chance to lead the major leagues in hits. He currently sits only nine hits off the lead, and compared to Eric's Flaherty Cy Young pick and my Justin Turner for MVP pick, yours is definitely looking like the best of the bunch, so I wanted to give you props for that. However, like I said, you and I both predicted that Joe Musgrove would uh, would continue to struggle against the Cardinals. That was not the case. Musgrove got the win against the Cardinals several weeks back, and so you deserve a slightly, actually a lot smaller round of applause, but I'll give you a little bit of a round of applause even still. Thank you, John. Thank and, you for that. I appreciate it. And then me, I, I made this comparison when I was talking to Brendan off air before. I am the Baltimore Orioles of predictions. And what I mean there is I make really, there are, there are times where I make really loud and really exciting predictions and if you've been watching Orioles baseball recently, you'll understand that there are some really loud and really exciting Orioles games. But ultimately, my record is not so good. And like I said, I missed on Joe Musgrove. My pick of Justin Turner isn't looking so good. Who knows? Maybe eventually the Grayson Rodriguez no-hitter will come good. But that is a long, potentially a long time from now. So going from competitive segments in the past to a brand new competitive segment that we are debuting this week, which we're calling Heart of the Lineup. And we've hinted at before wanting to get a little bit more involved in the fantasy aspect of, of sports. And so this is our attempt to do that. And Brendan, do you want to explain where the inspiration came from for this new segment? Yeah, actually, so I need to give props to the St. Louis Cardinals radio broadcasters, uh, you know, they do a great job with incorporating some of these other um, kind of fun games that they play throughout the broadcast. And one of the things that they do is uh, what they call pick to click. Uh, and, and this is, I'll give another shout out to, to John Rooney and uh, Ricky Horton for the St. Louis Cardinals. They do this every game that they call. But basically what they do is they take somebody out of the Cardinals lineup that they think could have an above average game or kind of a breakout game every time. And uh, they like to have a little fun with it. And usually they all pick somebody different. So what we're going to be doing going forward is from a fantasy aspect, we're going to each have our own little heart of the lineup for the upcoming weekend series. This could be a hitter. This could be a pitcher, but basically the, the name of the game is that you want to pick somebody who might not be owned in a lot of leagues or somebody who's been underperforming throughout the season or in recent games or somebody that you think could just break out over the next weekend. So, uh, John, I'll send it to you. Who's your heart of the lineup this weekend? And tell us why. So my heart of the lineup, and that was very well explained. Thank you. My heart of the lineup is going to be Jonathan India, the infielder for the Cincinnati Reds. And Ouch town. I know. A big reason, and, and why Brendan is saying ouch, is that a big reason that I went with India is that he is coming off a very productive uh, series against the Cardinals and of late over his over the last seven days I believe is hitting 400 but right now he is not someone who is getting a lot of love in fantasy I believe according to ESPN he is owned in less than a third of uh, ESPN fantasy leagues and so this weekend coming to town in Cincinnati are the Colorado Rockies so you have a pitching staff in Colorado that is not very good even when they're not in Coors Field, you have a ballpark in 
what I like to call the Great American Small Park in Cincinnati that is always inviting of offense. And you have Jonathan India, who was a former top five pick of the Reds out of the University of Florida, and a guy who in his rookie season is really coming into his own, uh, as we saw recently against the Cardinals. And to me, it's all coming together for sort of a perfect uh, a perfect situation where we could see Jonathan India over this series against Colorado really outproduce uh, the 1.9 points per game that we've seen him put up so far. All right, I like it. Uh, I, I don't like it from the Cardinals' perspective. I do want to buyer be war- buyer be warned here. I, I did mention this to John earlier, but uh, Jonathan India did murder the Cardinals early on in the season as well, and looked like he was going to be a force to be reckoned with this season. And then he promptly fell off the series after that, and, and kind of slumped for a while until he thankfully got to play the Cardinals again, and now he's one of the hottest hitters in the league. So we'll see if he keeps that up or not. I do like the pick. I do like it against the Rockies, and I do like it in Cincinnati this weekend. Eric, who you got for your heart of the lineup? Yeah, I think I picked someone who ended up being pretty highly owned, but he's been trending upward uh, on ESPN in particular and being picked up. So if he's not already in your lineup, then he should be. And mine is Tyler O'Neill, the outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, After starting April with a meh 241 average, since his return from the IL uh, on May 27th, he's hitting above... 340 with five home runs in those 12 games and he's currently batting fifth in the lineup for I mean right behind Goldschmidt and Arenado so he's playing the Cubs this weekend and we'll mention that later this uh, recording as well Uh, but I think Tyler O'Neill will do particularly well uh, in Chicago and I'm predicting that he'll hit at least one home run at least one double and he'll bat above 300 in that series wow I like it I do like that a lot um so, interesting tidbit as somebody who obviously watches a lot of Cardinal games and pays attention to the Cardinals, Tyler O'Neill has historically struggled a lot with off-speed pitches and curveballs in particular. But since he came back from the injured list, as you mentioned, he's been on fire, and that's mostly due to the fact that he's been killing curveballs. I mean, absolutely destroying them. So, uh, that is something to pay attention to if you've got Tyler O'Neill in your fantasy lineup and you know that you're, he's got a matchup against uh, somebody who relies heavily on a curveball. He's not exactly a guy you want to be hanging one to, especially if you got some runners on base, as Eric mentioned, with Goldschmidt and Arnado ahead of him in the lineup right now. He's going to be hitting that one a long way. That dude's biceps are bigger than, I think, anybody in baseball right now. So I do like O'Neal. I do like the prediction, Eric. I do hope that you're right. I hope he hits at least one home run this weekend. I don't know if he has the best matchup, but again, we will talk about that a little later. And for myself... Uh, I've actually gone with a pitcher this week. Shocking, I know. I, I am a pitcher-friendly uh, baseball baseball guy here. But I'm going with Robbie Ray for the Toronto Blue Jays. It is kind of an interesting one because he does have a matchup against the Red Sox in Fenway on Sunday. However, the Red Sox aren't that great against left-handed starters since the beginning of 2020. And when you look at the numbers that they faced lefties at home since the beginning of 2020, they're actually only 9-14 and 14 in those games straight up, which seems kind of weird. They do strike out a little bit over eight times on average against lefties in those games, and they only average, I say only, they, they average five runs a game, but that's inflated by a few high-scoring games that they had. And on top of that, when you look at Robbie Ray's recent starts, this is a guy who's put up um, 
it looks like over 20 points in three of his last four starts, with the exception being one start in Yankee Stadium where he got knocked around a little bit. But the other three starts came against Tampa Bay, Miami, and at Chicago White Sox, and he held all of them to one run exactly. We know he's going to go out there and strike out a bunch of people. And if he gets deeper into the game, this is a guy who could have 13, 14, 15 strikeouts. And it would be pretty impressive against a Boston Red Sox lineup who has hit basically everybody they've seen this season. But it wouldn't shock me with the run of form that he's had recently. He just put up, like I said, a, a fantastic start with 13 Ks where he ended up actually not even getting the win against the White Sox uh, that John, you know, John and I, we had this conversation off air once again. But he did put up 25 fantasy points in that game, and I wouldn't be shocked to, put him, to, to, to see him put up over 20 against the Red Sox on Sunday. All right, and so that is the debut of Heart of the Lineup. And now moving from that news segment to one that we all love, one that we all know, and that's Who's That Man? And that's the Who's That Man baton has come all the way back around. I'm leading it again this week, so you'll have Brendan and Eric on the buzzers. And without further ado, let's get to our first Who's That Man player, uh, are all of you in the buzzer? Are you got your buzzers ready? Yes, sir. I'm ready to go. I got a bad feeling about this week, though. I'm, I'm not feeling too great. <laughs> all right. So the stat for our first Who's That Man contestant or Who's That Man player is this player is leading Major League Baseball in doubles. I'm assuming it's not Matt Carpenter anymore. It is not Matt Carpenter. I think it's been a just little be, bit. Just I think be it's clear, been. That was not a guess. <laughs> I think it's been. I, I know. I know. I know. Don't worry. I think it's been a little while since Matt Carpenter was up there on the doubles leaderboard. Just All a right. little bit. So this player, he bats left-handed. Still waiting on our first buzz. So we'll move on to our next statistic. This player's uniform number is 26. That means nothing to me. This player was drafted in the sixth round out of Mississippi State in 2013. All right, still no buzzes. This player plays in the National League. Man, my brain must not be working today. Um... Okay, for this player's career stat, so he's leading the league in doubles now. His career high for doubles came back in 2019 when he had 33, and he is a career... 280 hitter. No major awards, no nothing like that. Those are your career stats. Still nothing from the boys. Okay. Maybe oh this will goodness. help. Maybe this will help you out. We're working in the NL Central. NL Central. Oh my god, they're not looking at the right place. <laughs> oh my god. I'm nowhere near this right now. I'm nowhere near I've been in the wrong game. league. I've been in the wrong division. <laughs> We're stumping oh them here. We're stumping goodness. them here. Okay, this player is primarily a second baseman, but has spent some time in the outfield here and there. What? 
All right, Eric. I have take no it. idea how he's doing. Is it Adam Frazier? It is Adam Frazier! <laughs> what? He's leading the league in doubles? Adam Frazier leads all of Major League Baseball with 21 doubles, as well as leading Major League Baseball with 77 hits. So, Tommy Edmond, that's who you're chasing down right now, your oh, in-division rival. So, Eric goes up... Eric goes up one nothing on the undefeated big dog Brendan Rollins. I am I am absolutely shocked right now. And so we will move. I, on. I honestly was about to call you out because I thought it was going to be Tommy Edmund and he's a switch hitter. Nope, 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 nope. I I do my research better than that. All right, so moving well, that's on. That's the only to, reason I didn't buzz. Yeah. So moving on to our second player. This player is tied for second in the majors with seven wins and is the only starting pitcher to still have a perfect win percentage. All right. They are a right-handed pitcher. Their uniform number is currently 34. But in the past, they have worn 37, 39, 45, and 46, in addition to also wearing 34 in another, for another team. What the heck? This has to be this guy, right? Yeah, go ahead. Is it Kevin Gossman? It is wow. Kevin Gossman! Ding, 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 ding. What? Big Dog ties He's it up. Kevin Gossman is 7-0 for the San Francisco Giants. His ERA uh, is 127 which is spectacular. And he is overall having a all-star caliber season. And I would say Cy Young caliber season, but we have Jacob deGrom still existing in the national league. So that's going to make it a little hard for him. So big dog, Brendan Rollins ties it up. So we go to our final player. Oh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. And I don't think have we had a who's that man who has not come down to the final player? I don't. No, think I was just so. thinking that as well. I don't think we had a sweep. Yet. <laughs> I was just thinking the next time it happens where we have a sweep, I think we're just gonna not know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, this player is currently tied for the major league lead in RBIs. Go ahead, Brendan. I'm shooting my shot. I got to take a shot at it. Is it Vlad Guerrero Jr.? It is not Vlad Guerrero Jr., so that is uh, a wrong answer. Uh, this player is a left-handed hitter. So His uniform number is 17. He was drafted in the first round in the 2013 MLB draft out of high school in Georgia. 2017. He plays in the American League. This player is a one-time All-Star with that All-Star appearance coming back in 2019 where he finished the season with 33 home runs. Like Brendan's first guess that was incorrect, this player plays in the American League East.
this player is an outfielder, if you have to give him a position, but he also spends a lot of time at uh, the DH spot. Well, that completely eliminates my guess that I had. Eric, go ahead. Is it Austin Meadows? It is Austin Meadows, oh, no. and it is Eric for the win. No. <laughs> I was just trying to think of other DHs in the AL East. <laughs> so, Eric, Raphael I believe Devers. that is your – Is Rafael Devers have a lot of RBIs this season? He doesn't he play does. outfield. Rafael Devers, is, Rafael Devers is the person that Austin Meadows is tied with, yes. Dang it. That was going to be my guess until you said he played outfield. So, Eric, I believe that is your first win on Who's That Man, and it also breaks Brendan's perfect streak to start the season. Uh, and so we have a lot more parody heading into our next episode of Who's That Man, where it will be me versus Brendan. Eric as Eric tries yeah. to get a little streak going, and I try to come back off a loss to Brendan. So well played, gentlemen. And without further ado, we will add to, we will throw it to our closer and that closer is of course the series of the weekend segment brendan take us away Ooh, am i the closer i like the sound of that all right so um shocking surprise here development uh, amongst the lineup up hosts here we've got quite the series for you boys we're going a little bit off the beaten path uh just kidding it's going to be cardinals at cubs as everybody expected it was a little bit slim picking this time. I felt kind of bad picking the Cardinals and Cubs. We have featured the Cardinals twice already this season, but... It's a classic um, rivalry, though. You can't go wrong with the classics. Yeah, how do, you, how do you pass it up? I mean, we got the Cardinals going one direction, the Cubs going the completely opposite direction. I'm sure there will be some fireworks in Wrigley. Um, frustrated Cardinals. It should be a good time. And so we've got some general trends for you guys that I'll kind of briefly go through, and then I want to get your opinions on general trends and what you think overall of the series, not necessarily game by game, but we'll talk about the pitching matchups as well as they're projected to be. Currently, uh, I should say recently, the Cubs are 27-19 and 19 against the Cardinals at Wrigley Field, and that's since the beginning of 2016 when their so-called dynasty happened, uh, began. Uh, but, however, the Cardinals have won eight of the last 11 at Wrigley. Um, this season in particular, the Cardinals and the Cubs have both hit a lot of batters. The Cardinals lead the league with 49, and the Cubs are second most with 42. This kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the conversation we'll have later, but we'll see. I do want to point out as well that these two pitching staffs walk a ton of people in addition to hitting a ton of people. The Cubs average 3.8 walks per nine. That's fifth worst in the MLB. And the Cardinals are by far the worst in the MLB, partly because their bullpen has been terrible recently and has been taking a lot of innings, as we already talked about. But they average 4.6 walks per nine. The Cubs are 12 and 19 when they walk four or more in a game. And the Cardinals are an abysmal 17 and 22. Yes, that's correct. They have 39 games where they've walked four or more people. So... With all this in mind, one last thing I want to point out, Friday's game is a classic day game at Wrigley, and day games at Wrigley since the beginning of 2015, I should say, 143 of them have gone under the total, while only 115 have gone over. So as expected, when you get the wind blown in a little bit more during the day, we'll take a look at the weather ahead of Friday. We do have 
Kyle Hendricks on the mound, who has uh, been very successful against the Cardinals in his career. But we do have Johan Oviedo for the Cardinals, who has not been so great, but he has been picking it up a little bit lately. So let's, start, let's talk about uh, overall feelings of the series going into it, gentlemen, as well as what you see on Friday between Oviedo and Hendricks. So I think it's pretty clear that Hendricks, when you, Kyle Hendricks has usually been the Cubs' best pitcher. Um, and of late, he's been very good. And so I think when you see that and you see a Cardinals lineup that is not at their peak and a Cardinals pitching staff that is far from their peak, I think you would tend to favor Hendricks in that one. But I don't know. I have this 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 sneaking suspicion that maybe the Cardinals are a lot more competitive in this game especially than what we might expect just based on numbers and based on recent trends. Okay. Eric, what, Eric, what are your thoughts on this one? Honestly, I don't have too much. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for this, this series overall in this, in this matchup. I think it will be a close game between these two teams. It's an absolute wonder that both two of their games uh, in the last series went uh, with a final score of two to one. Uh, I think overall for this series, I think it will be higher scoring than what we saw last time uh, down in St. Louis and I think uh, I think the waiver the weather will favor us such as well yeah I think it speaks volumes that um, these two teams didn't hit the ball as well as you might expect them to in St. Louis the last series but we are in Wrigley this time and we do get two night games whereas uh, for a weekend series that's not necessarily typical in Wrigley I do want to point out just for the Friday game the Cubs are 16 and 6 lifetime and Hendricks starts against the Cardinals. That doesn't mean Hendricks is 16 and six against the Cardinals, but the Cubs have won 16 of his 22 starts. And in those games, the Cardinals are averaging only three runs. That's again, not against just Kyle Hendricks, but in total of those games. So it includes when the bullpen takes over for Hendricks. And secondarily, the Cardinals are a big fat one and nine when Johan Oviedo starts. That includes his five starts last season. And he is 0-2 against the Cubs uh in his lifetime as well so uh we will talk about that matchup a little bit more later once we get to the stop the streak but moving on to saturday which is a night game important to call out when you're playing in wrigley field we've got a projected matchup we should note this is projected because albert alzali is penciled in however he did leave his last start uh, a little early with a blister on his pitching hand so we'll see if he's ready to go if not, it might be mixed up, but we do know that John Gant most likely will be getting the nod for St. Louis Cardinals on that Saturday game. In Alzale starts uh, against the Cardinals, the Cubs are 1-2 and two in those games. He has thrown the ball decently against the Cardinals this year. Uh, I have gotten to see him pitch a couple times against us, but we'll see if he's completely healthy with that blister and John Gant. He's had an okay year. He's one of the culprits of the Cardinals that has walked a ton of guys, but he seems to be kind of getting away with it for whatever reason. Nine of his 11 starts have gone under the total, something to point out. Um, but I do kind of side with Eric. I think these games will be a little more high scoring than the last time these teams met. And it is very necessary to point out that in Gantt's starts, although they've been, they've been under the total most of the time, opponent – Opposing teams are stranding an average of 18.18 runners on base in those games. So it's obviously a number that will not be able to keep up if he keeps putting them on base. 
Eventually, they're going to regress to the mean, and they're going to be scoring some more runs against John Gant. Hopefully, for the Cardinals' sake, that trend does not keep going. But, gentlemen, I'll pose this this Saturday game to you. How do you see this one breaking up? So, assuming Alzale is the starter, and that's what we are going with as of now, I think the Cubs pull this one out. Um, Gant got had a pretty rough outing in his last start against Cincinnati, and as, as you're sort of alluding to, maybe that's a sign of things to come because maybe he had just been lucky to avoid that up to this point. And so even though on paper this is a really good pitching matchup, I think the recent trends suggest that Alzale is going to outperform Gantt and that should make the difference in the game. Now, if Alzale is still injured and does not make the start, then I think you throw that all out the window and it's really anyone's game. But assuming that we get Gantt versus Alzale, I'm going to give the advantage to the Cubs. Yeah, that this, that's that for leaving 18 runners on base is absolutely wild to me. Um, I mean, if you just think of a full game of nine innings, that's like leaving two players on base every inning, right? <laughs> if I'm thinking about that correctly, that's absolutely wild if you just think of it that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the math checks <laughs> that's out. That's absolutely wild, guys. Um, but even with that being said, I predict that the Cardinals will actually win this game um, of the series. Uh, I think this one will be a little rainier, I think, um, if the weather projects correctly. Um, but I, I do think that might not factor into it, but I do think overall that the Cardinals uh, will, will be able to pull this one out. Yeah, I do definitely side with you on that one, Eric. I think I think if Alzali throws, he's not going to have his normal nasty off-speed stuff, and it will kind of affect the movement that he's getting on his fastball as well. So I think the Cardinals can get to Alzali if, if he throws, and if he doesn't throw, even better. Uh, I think the Cardinals can get a spot start, uh, spot starter for the Cubs uh, pretty early and get into that bullpen, which might help them on Sunday as well. And so we'll we'll move into Sunday. Uh, unfortunately, we've got Carlos Martinez on the mound, who, as we've already talked about, has not been very hot lately. And for the Cubs, they've got Zach Davies. He's been okay, kind of kind of what you would expect from Zach Davies. He has started against the Cardinals 12 times in his career, albeit only one with the Cubs, and that was earlier this season, which the Cubs managed to win. In those games, Zach Davies uh, starting, his team has won seven out of 12. So he's seven and five. He is not seven and five, excuse me, but his teams are seven and five lifetime in his starts against the Cardinals. He's had mild success against the Cardinals. Uh, I actually thought that he was much better against the Cardinals than he actually is, but when we took a look at the numbers, He's a little bit below his actual average against the rest of the league, which kind of surprised me. So we'll see what the outcome is on Sunday. As we've already talked about, Carlos Martinez has struggled recently, and I don't believe that he would be in the rotation whatsoever anymore if we didn't have so many injuries. But nonetheless, the Cardinals are 4-7 and seven in Carlos Martinez starts this year, with opponents averaging 7.36 runs in those games. Big yikes. He is 0-1 against the Cubs this year. And that loss came in the last series on May 21st. So, gentlemen, the Sunday game at Wrigley, I believe it is the national game of the week on ESPN. Who did you have taken this one? I used to love Carlos Martinez, just to give a little bit of background. He used to be one of my favorite Cardinals. Uh, he, he had electric stuff. He was really fun to watch. I can't show him any love anymore. The numbers recently are just too atrocious, I think is the right word to really put any confidence behind him. And 
one of the things that Brendan pointed out to me and that was really interesting to do a little bit more digging on was that this guy falls apart as soon as he has to pitch out of the stretch. His his I think his batting average against is under 200 with nobody on base, but as soon as it somebody's on base, it jumps to like 350 or something like that. And so with those kind of numbers, as much as there's a nostalgic part of me that wants to put faith in Carlos Martinez, right now I just can't. And so I will go again with the Cubs and in this case with Zach Davies. Yeah, for me, this is easy peasy, lemon squeezy, a Cubs win. I think uh, at least two of the Cubs top hitters will get a home run off Carlos Martinez and we'll take him to the bullpen. So uh, I don't, I think this will be the only game, actually, I think the Cubs will sneak out. I think we'll talk about the Friday game again on the stop the streak. Um, but I think after coming off two losses for the Cubs, I think the the Cubs will uh, pull the Sunday game out. Okay, yeah, I, I, do, I don't have any faith in Carlos Martinez, as you guys have, have already mentioned. He's very, very in a bad he's – he's in a terrible place right now. I mean, his start against the Dodgers was atrocious, as John mentioned. His recent start um, against the Indians, which was actually yesterday, was equally as bad. And that is primarily on the back of the fact that he cannot pitch out of the stretch because his mechanics completely change. And I think he gets big time in his head and doesn't really know he, – he looks like a completely different pitcher. He's going to get his strikeouts – but if he's not getting past the third inning or the fourth inning in a game, what point? What's the point of having him start a game? I don't. I don't really understand. I, again, I don't think they really have an option given all the injuries they have. But nonetheless, this is Zach Davies we're talking about, and this is Wrigley Field. I'm actually gonna go with a bold prediction here. So if we can get a bold prediction alert, that would be great. I'm gonna say that the Cardinals win this game. I do think that both teams score over ten runs. And I am going to say that the Cardinals sweep this series. Oh. This seems like a classic a classic situation where Cardinals are hurting bad. They need a big series win. Cubs are in a good position. But in recent years when the Cardinals need to beat up on an in-division rival to get that mojo back and really turn their season around, the Chicago Cubs always come around with a nice series in Wrigley. And in recent years, they've gone the Cardinals' way. As I mentioned, the Cardinals have won most of the games recently at Wrigley, eight of the last 11, and that includes a big end-of-the-season sweep uh, last year, I believe, to solidify our postseason position after floundering for a little while right before the end of the season. Granted, we didn't take it very far into the postseason, obviously, but nonetheless, it was electric. It was a great moment uh, to see those games, and similar to that, we saw Craig Kimbrell kind of blow up in that series, I think it's going to be indicative of the rest of the season that the Cubs bullpen is going to start to show some cracks in the armor this weekend. And I think Hendricks is probably the only pitcher I'm a little bit worried about on Friday. But uh, nonetheless, I'm going to say the Cardinals sweep the series, and Sunday will most certainly be a high-scoring game, I think. So we'll move along to the stop the streak. And this week, kind of a weird one, kind of an interesting one I've got for you guys. But as we mentioned, that Friday game, Hendricks and the Cubs will be uh, going up against Johan Oviedo and the Cardinals, and it is a day game. Now, keep in mind, those day games are a little more uh, under-prevalent. I don't know that that necessarily will be the case. You'll have to take a look at the weather, see if the wind's blowing in, see how hard it's blowing, are we going to have rain? But nonetheless, 
As I mentioned, the Cardinals average only three runs per game that uh, Hendricks starts against them in his lifetime. And for whatever reason, when Johan Oviedo starts, the Cardinals have only scored 2.5 run, runs per game in support of Johan Oviedo. Kind of a weird anomaly, but uh, it juxtapositions nicely with the Hendricks start on the opposing side for the Cubs. So for the stop the streak this week, boys, on Friday during the day game, will the Cardinals score over three and a half runs? So I'm asking for four plus runs from the Cardinals in the game, not just against Kyle Hendricks, but total. Eric, I'll go to you first. Will they stop the streak or will the streak of Hendricks continue? Right, as you said, so it's not just against Hendricks, but against the Cubs total. And I kind of hinted, hinted at this earlier. Um, and I do believe that the Cardinals will score more than four runs on Friday uh, with Hendricks starting. Just looking at Hendricks, I mean, he's also ironically given up three earned runs in each of his past three games. Um, so if he were to just give up three runs this time, and to Brendan's point earlier of possibly showing cracks in the bullpen, I think the Cardinals could also steal another one uh, after Hendricks leaves. Um, regarding baseball weather, just looking it up, it looks like it's a comfortable 80 degrees with 67% humidity. Uh, so I think the ball could also help carry a little bit on that day. Eric the prophet becoming Eric the meteorologist. I like it. I like it. Um, right. I will also go with a stopping of the streak. I believe the Cardinals eke out a 4-2-3 win over the Cubs on Friday. Uh, I think Hendricks will outduel Oviedo. I wouldn't surprise me if you saw them both exit sort of fifth, sixth inning. Hendricks only having given up one or two runs. Oviedo giving up three. But I believe we see a slight role, well, not a slight, a role reversal from the Cardinals bullpen, and they help the Cardinals get their first and only win uh, in Wrigley this weekend. Ooh, okay. All right, I like it. So we've got two for stopping the streak so far, and we're actually going to have a first where we all three agree. I do agree that the the Cardinals will stop the streak, and they will get four-plus runs on that Friday game. John, I've got a similar final score to you. I'm going to say the Cardinals win a close one, 4-2. to two. However, I've got it playing out a little different than you. I do think that Hendricks has a good start. We have not historically hit him very well, as we've already gone over. And I think he probably leaves the game in the 6th or 7th inning, and the Cardinals only have two runs, and most likely are in a tie game. So it's probably about 2-2. Two to two. I think Johan Oviedo has been throwing the ball well recently, and I think he gets a little deeper into the game than he has been lately. Um, he needs to eat some innings up, and... If he's having a good start, then I, I, I don't see why Mike Schilt and the managerial squad wouldn't let him uh, take some innings off that bullpen if he looks like he can handle it. So I think this will be uh, a season turning around for the Cardinals where they get a big win late against the Cubs bullpen and sneak out a 4-2 to win uh, that's been tied for a while. So we'll see how it plays out. But that is 3-3. Three for three. We're all going to stop the streak this week. That'll do it for me. I'll send it over to John for the closeout. All right. And so, like Brendan said, that will finish out our episode here at Line Em Up. As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please give it a, a like, uh, give us a follow, a subscribe, whether you're here from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Share it with your friends. Leave us reviews. Any and all interactions with our podcast, always welcome as we try to grow our family here at the Line Em Up podcast. 
And so I'm John and thank you to Brendan. Thanks everybody. And Eric. Yeah. If you made this far, everyone, we appreciate the support. So feel free to tweet at us or whatever to let us know where you feel we're right or wrong. Absolutely. And we will see you all guys in the next episode of line them up. Thank you.